and welcome to Brook Talks America and our Tactical Tuesdays podcast with Joe Dolio. Welcome, Joe. Hey, glad to be here. Always good to be with you. So hopefully you've been listening to our podcast and are up to date, you know, but if not, you can find everything on brooktalksamerica.com. And of course, you can get Joe's books on his website, tactical-wisdom.com and also his articles and blogs and everything like that. Up till now, we've been discussing some of the basic area awareness, things like that you should know about where, you know, where you are in a, this is the, the coined phrase from Joe is, without rule of law situation and how to navigate your way around your area, where are important points of call like the hospital or like the police station, fire station, stuff like that, um, as well as basic first aid kit components and basic types of preparedness kits and bags. Again, all the podcasts are on the website. Today, we're going to be discussing chapters seven and eight of Joe's book, Baseline Training Manual, about the belt kit and the patrol slash ED C bag, which uh, I'm going to have him explain. So a couple things that are very important. And, you know, I've talked about this before, like, as this is an audio podcast, as opposed to visual, you know, obviously, it makes it different. You're not actually seeing something, you're going to have to just sort of use your imagination, right? Um, the and it's, of course, best to buy the book, you know, to be able to follow along and be able to make your own plans. Uh, the other is that some of these you know, bags and kits use redundancy items. Like you could conceivably have your, you know, your car bag and home bag, and both will have a first aid kit, for example. So you'll want to have things organized very well, right? So that, uh, you know, which will help you if you're going to have to pull one of those, you know, say an admin bag to put on your bag or your belt or whatever like that. So while a lot of this may be familiar, you know, to people who are in the military, a lot may not be and they don't have any kind of preparedness or somewhere in between you know we just want to make sure that everybody is pre informed prepared and protected so if you are listening to this make sure you share it with your friends so that everybody can have the information because things are moving incredibly fast so we want to make sure that everybody's prepared so let's get into the book um so in this chapter as i said it is the belt my this is the belt kit how much does this weigh the belt kit so you have a couple different options here. Um, my belt weighs a little bit more um, because I have mine as, a, as as carrying everything I need. So it should probably be anywhere from about five to 10 pounds, depending on how much water you're carrying. It's really about how much the water is. Uh, is. Okay. And, and, and you know, I, I mentioned this, this last week, but when we talk about the belts, U.S. Marines generally always carry two canteens on their belt. The Army generally carries one or none. Um, that's because institutionally Marines walk everywhere they go in, in the army rides in vehicles. Mm -hmm. It's not a slam on the army. It's just an entirely different way of moving, but the Marines have a memory that dates back to world war II and the invasion of Guadalcanal. And, um, in the very opening days of that, as the, as the Marines were landing, the Navy was forced to leave because the Japanese Navy showed up. Um, and the Marines were left on that Island with only the supplies they had on their back, all of their extra food and water and stuff left with the Navy ships. And for a couple of months, they were stranded there with just what they could carry. So um, since then, Marines have always carried two canteens of water everywhere they go. So they have a little extra. Um, so that's kind of why mine weighs a bit more because I always carry two canteens. It's just something I've always done since I was 18 years old. So basically the belt kit is, is going to be everything that you're carrying that you might need immediately. And when I, when I talk about all these different kits and books, or and, uh, I'm sorry, and bags and things like that, 
we're talking about having the ability to survive with what is on your person at the moment. So the belt kit is really the baseline, right? It's what you have in your pockets plus what you have on your belt. And um, in the now, uh, let me just ask you, because in the beginning of the chapter, this is around your property or is it outside in like in the, you know, wherever you're going as well? Are you going to so, have the are you going to yes. have it on there? This is what I'm talking about. In a without rule of law situation, anytime you're outside of your house, you should have this belt kit on because okay. you don't know what's going to happen. So right now, if I'm working in my yard, I don't necessarily carry anything with me because I live somewhere where I can call the fire department. I live somewhere where I can call the police and they will arrive on rather short order, a matter of minutes. But if I'm in a without rule of law situation and somebody wants to come on my property and take my things or someone gets hurt or or some other thing happens, there's no one else coming. Right. Uh, we, we say this a lot on, on, on goon Twitter, as they call it. <laughs> Expect to self rescue. Right. right you right. have to be that one person. So the belt kit is something you just wear all day, every day. Once a without rule of law situation happens, it's just a habit to get into. So I've recently started mentioning that that you could possibly have two belt kits instead of just one. You have the one you wear right around your house, which is a little bit smaller, but you might have a larger one you wear when you leave your perimeter and go patrolling or when you're going to go into town or whatever. You want to take a little extra supplies with you because you don't know what's going to happen between point A and point B. So basically, this is sort of the bare minimum to keep you alive, right? Um the military calls it the second line gear. The first line is whatever is in your pockets. Uh, but the second line gear are the things that you really, really, really need. Um, I say a belt, but some people put it all on a vest. You can do it any of a number of ways. And there's a lot of great options for getting these. Um, a, a great place to look for these uh, online is Exumbrus Designs. They make some great belts. Um, mine, though, I have an Exumbrus one, but I also have one by Eagle War Belts. It's a U.S. Marine Corps belt. Uh-huh. Military surplus is a great way to go because they invest millions of dollars in researching this gear so you know it works right right, right. so really anything from and the it's Viet- strong and it's gonna and it's gonna survive absolutely it's the strongest yeah. gonna survive and it's made for the lowest common denominator it's made for the least trained person to be able to grab put together right. and put on so really anything made vietnam and after is going to be good to go um, I know a lot of people talk bad about the old school Vietnam era LC1 belt, but it's still in use today in other countries and it works great. So just something, some kind of a belt to hold your stuff. Um, I prefer and ones suspenders. with suspenders. Yep. I use the ones with suspenders because I'm carrying a lot of water. Um, right. But there are a lot of different belt manufacturers out there that have a double belt system where like the inner belt is Velcro and your outer belt has the other side of the Velcro. So they hold each other in place. Mm-hmm. Um but that will only hold probably one canteen of water. If you're going to carry two, you should have something with some kind of suspenders. The other good thing about suspenders, too, is that it takes the weight off your hips and shares it between your shoulders and hips. And uh, that's why I like using the, the suspenders for me. You had mentioned in a previous podcast, and this is important, like because you were talking about how how to wear backpacks and how to wear these things in the proper way. At the right. you know you you don't just want to have them on. You need to wear them all in the proper way, especially if they're going to have a lot of you know varying degrees of weight in them, so that it it keeps your back straight, it keeps your posture straight, and everything like that. You were talking about the the kids and the backpacks off the one side of the shoulder, and how you yep. should always wear a backpack on both arms. Yep. And, and pulled up tight and use the chest strap if you have one. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing with these. Um, you want to wear them tight, not loose. And you want to wear them buckled. Um, you can wear it unbuckled maybe like if you're relaxing at the end of the day, but it should be buckled as you're moving around because the weight won't shift. Right. Uh, even if you have suspenders, keep it buckled. Um, and, and that's a really great point that you brought up is make sure you're wearing it tight 
uh, on your on your body. So there's a million different ways to set up belts. And, I, and as you go through Twitter and ask questions, if you ask 10 different guys, there's going to be 10 <laughs> different ways. Um, yeah. And it's one of our favorite things we like to talk about. Um, but I, I have a way that I do it, and it's the Marine Corps way, just because that's what's been ingrained in my mind. You start with the two uh, canteens, and they should be on your back, kind of by your kidneys, right? In the middle of that should be a first aid kit or a butt pack or both. Um, but then moving towards the front on your strong side, you'd have a holster and on your weak side, you'd have uh, a knife and extra ammunition for your rifle. X, X Umbris makes holsters, right? Make the belt. The the people who make the, the holsters is Red Balloon Industries. Oh, okay. And I'll be honest. That's the best holster I've ever gotten in my life. All right. Plug for Red so, Balloon. Go ahead. Red Balloon. Uh, they make great stuff. And, and we like them because uh, they're one of our friends. So, sure, of course. Uh, so you want to get a quality holster, not just not just something, right? A lot of guys try to save money here, and they buy one of those, oh, I don't know, $15 um, nylon ones, and it's just not going to do you well. Spend the money, get a good one that's going to hold your firearm securely because you don't want them to take it from you. Right. And, and it's a heavy object, and you don't want it pulling on your belt. So you got to get the right kind of holster that spreads the weight out a little bit and holds it tight to your body. One of the biggest problems is, is that when people get a holster, a lot of guys want to go for this drop leg holster because it looks cool. But most people who have one, that's the one that goes on your thigh. Mm-hmm. Most people who do that wear it way too low for it to be effective. And it creates a pull on your belt and a pull on your gear and everything. So really. So um, what do you mean by that? It's not effective. They can't draw it quick enough, quickly enough or what? Quick enough Because it's too far down. Oh, okay. And as low as they wear it, it tends to pull away from your body. So what you got to do is you got to put it up really low. It should, really should be just barely below your belt. It shouldn't be way down by by your cargo pockets or anything like that. It should be actually up about where your pocket is on your pants. And and I know they come with two straps. Don't even use the top strap. Only use the bottom strap. And, and that'll keep it closer to your body because you've pulled it up closer to your belt. Um, you don't want it dangling off there. It looks great in photos, but try <laughs> running with it. Or try crawling with it down there, and it's getting caught on everything. You need it as close to your body as you can and as high as you can. And another thing that I mentioned in here, too, is that you should always have a, a fixed blade knife on your belt. Uh, now, not necessarily now in, in current times, but in a without rule of law situation, you shouldn't be going anywhere without a fixed blade knife. It's a great tool. Uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, camp tool. It's also a great self-defense tool. So if you're going to carry a knife, it should be on your weak side. So your firearm would be on your strong side and a knife would be on your weak side. But most people, when they put a knife in a sheath, they want to put it with the blade facing behind them. If you're going to put it on your weak side with the blade facing forward, we're going to borrow a little bit from the samurais. OK, mm-hmm. if the blade is facing forward, which would which feels backwards to you. But if I reach over and draw it with my strong hand and swing out, the blade is facing whoever is attacking me as See? opposed to facing behind me. Makes sense. And if I have to draw it with my weak hand, the blade is still facing forward and I could just punch straight out and actually hit somebody. Um, it's uh, it's worked for the Samurais. I think it'll work for us. Uh, there and the you Marine go. It for, uh, Marines have been doing it forever. Uh, I was a Marine forever ago, and that's the way they taught me. So um, weak side. See, these are little things. These are little things that some people don't think about. That's why we're talking about them. These are, you know, that's why in the process of writing the book, how do we do this? How do we do that? The most effective way. That's why we want to talk about it. Absolutely. You know, it is like, it's like some of the smaller things that people argue about on Twitter tactics wise guys who talk about the appendix carry that is fantastic for everyday life. But what if I have to get down and take cover quickly? I can't get it in my gun cause I'm laying on it now. Mm gun down the front of your pants right um you have to think about things like that um 
it seems intuitive. Yeah, I can reach it really easy when I'm at the range and when I'm shooting at targets. But when people are shooting at you and you're diving for cover, you can't reach it very well. Right. So Good you point. have to think about these things. Good point. Now, the other thing is um, you need to have a multi-tool and a, a flashlight. You always you always want to carry that on your belt, too. Absolutely. Um, light is is vital for more things than just light. So let's say I come across somebody who's injured, right? I don't know what's wrong with them. A light can help me try to wake them up. A light can help me determine if they have a head injury. Uh, mm -hmm. Lights can be used to signal people even in the daytime, as long as you have a bright enough light. There are a million and one uses for a light, so you should always have one. And um, I, I always keep one uh, either on the strong side just in front uh, of a holster or on the weak side where I can get it with my other hand. Um, doesn't matter where you put it, but you need to have a light on your belt. And it needs to be a very powerful one. Uh, we're talking at least 300 lumens um, and something that's made to be used with a firearm. And are they um, waterproof or yeah, is, that an, I mean, is that a consideration or no? Are. You get one made by like Streamlight or um, uh, Surefire, any of those places, they are. Um, I know a lot of people like Olights, um, but they're a Chinese light, and I've seen a lot of them catch fire, so I'm mm. not I'm not as sold on them as everyone else. Um, but get a high-quality light. Ch shop around before you spend the money, but actually spend the money on a high-quality one. It's right. important. Now, I have a question. So the first aid kit that you have in your in your mutual preparedness group that mm -hmm. you use theirs to treat them as opposed to yours to treat them with this with regard to the the belt. Do you have yours designed the same as the people that are in your group? Yeah, everyone should have the same kind of first aid kit with the same contents in the same place. So where I have mine um, and, and, and there's a lot of people have a lot of different thoughts on this. So I'm, I am by no means the expert, um, but I have mine in the center of the back of my belt. The reason for that is I can reach it one-handed with either hand. Mm -hmm. And this is something you need to practice on and train on. And there's a tourniquet on the top of it, so I can just grab that with one hand and pull it out. Um, and I can reach in and, and get out what I need. Um, the best thing to do is pull everything out and bring it in front of you so you can look at it. But everyone is having it in the same place because my first aid kit is for me, your first aid kit is for you. If I come upon you and you're wounded and you can't talk to me because you're unconscious or whatever, exactly. I'm just going to roll you over and I'm going to look in the spot where your first aid kit is supposed to be to get it so that I could treat your injuries. Um, and that way I'm reserving my stuff for me. Right. Okay. So the next thing is um, you talk about your poncho, the different things that you have in the in the center of the back yeah. besides the yeah. kit. Yeah. Everyone, everyone does this part differently. Now, this this isn't like this isn't a light belt. Mine is a full on war belt that you would see soldiers wearing. So it's not a not a concealable belt, not an everyday carry belt. But this would be a there. There's absolutely no one else coming. So mine in the center of the back where the first aid kit is, I actually have a, a butt pack there and it's actually pretty good size. Mine looks like a small. I don't what know, does that mean? Out, butt pack. It's it's a pack that goes just above your butt. OK, simple, so it's right? named that way on purpose yeah. for that. OK. Right. That's where it goes. Center of the back. And mine mine looks like a small Alice pack for, for the old school veterans. It's It's got a central pocket that's waterproof. And on the outside, there are three different bags or pouches. Um, one pouch I have in it, like a face mask, gloves and uh, and a scarf. Um, the other side has food. And in the center that I can reach with both hands has my first aid kit. Um, so that's kind of on the outside. Then on the inside of it, uh, in the waterproof compartment, I have a poncho for shelter. 
I'll have um, probably uh, 50 to 100 feet of paracord. We talked about that before, mm-hmm. just some lightweight rope. Um, and then whatever else I need, a little, maybe a little extra food, um, a shemag, which is a like a neck covering that you can use for all kinds of different things, um, and a survival kit in there. Um, just so that I have the bare minimum to get by if I had to live out of just what was on my belt, I could do it for probably 72 hours. Yeah, and a compass you have and a map. Yeah, actually, yes, I always have a compass in there. Uh, I mean, a map in there. My compass is attached to my uh, to the harness, so my compass is always on my uh, on my left chest, so that I can look at it, pull it out, use it whenever I need to. But the important thing about a compass like that is you have to tie it to your gear. Um, compasses always come with like a lanyard, and people think, "Well, I wrap this wrap around your hand." You should actually tie that right to your gear, so that if you ever drop it, it's going to hang from your gear. You're not going to actually lose it. Right. And, and you know, I had a lot of people complain about the price of the compass I recommend because uh, it's the Kamenga U.S. military one that's got tritium in it. And it's it's a little over 100 bucks, but it's worth it for what it does. And you don't want to lose that. It, it's kind of your lifeline. Yeah. So tie it to you. And you can do that really with any important gear you have. We call it dummy cording. Uh, but basically, you take a little short, short section of paracord and you tie that to to the pouch that it goes in. So that if you ever drop something like a multi-tool or a knife, you can still get at it because it's still attached to you, right? You won't right. lose it permanently. And, you know, one of the points that's very important to this, and, we, you know, we've talked about it before, but it's to emphasize. So it's not just enough to have these things, right? So people may say, okay, well, I'm going to go buy this. I'm going to look at the book. I'm going to get this and this. To actually do it, like you say, to draw, to draw your, you know, your weapon on your strong side and your weak side. To, to place it that way and really feel what it feels like to do that and to have, you know, to have all of these components to know where they are, to practice where they are, to grab them quickly, the tourniquet, you, as you said, to be able to do it and to practice because when you get in that situation, you're not going to know, you know, it's right. not going to, it's not going to, it'll come much more readily to you if you've practiced it multiple times. And that's the point. You have to put this gear on and practice getting things out to the point where you can do it without looking and you can do it without making noise, right? Yeah. There might be a time when, uh, like, like on the top of my butt pack, there's a little pouch and in it, I keep binoculars. And um, first of all, you have to work on flexibility so you can reach behind you, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but I've got it so that I can open that pouch and pull out the binoculars and make no sound. And that's actually important because you may need to do that. Uh, it could be a matter of life and death, right? And the, the other the other point about the belt too is that it enables you to have all your stuff there if you can't you know you won't have to use your hands it keeps your hands free right and you know that's the entire point of the belt kit in general is let's say that i am on my own property and i'm i'm out there working my my fields of whatever uh rule of law has collapsed but a large group i see them approaching and and it looks like they're going to try to take my territory and they're between me and my house i can't necessarily get back to house to get my gear if I have to leave and hide out for a couple of days, my belt kit will get me through. And that's kind of the entire point of it. People just have no idea that that could possibly happen, really. And, and yet it has, even yeah. though it's recently, right? Yeah. Uh, Katrina was not much fun for people who lived in kind of the outskirts, right? Yeah. So. It's, it's pretty stunning, you know, and uh, and now... I really, you know, we've talked about this before a little bit is that, you know, that crazy Kraut Schwab, he had talked about the pandemic of the internet, I think he said. And it's like, they're talking now because now obviously the pandemic, you know, Pfizer is going to come out with its, what, $700 pill. That's the same thing as hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. 
And now they're talking about the um, climate change, right? And right. Uh, Prince Prince um, Charles was talking about we need to go on a war footing against climate change. Well, as soon as I heard that, I thought, okay, hmm, war footing, what are they doing in Australia right now? They're literally taking people's, closing people's banks, taking people's assets if they're not vaccinated. So when they say war footing, to me, it's like it's a signal, you know, that they're going to do whatever they want to do. And that could mean shutting down banks. I mean, that to me is the horrifying thing. People that get their money from the government, if they can't get the bank, they, they're going to have no way to survive at all. And that means they're coming for the people that they know. We discussed it before. You made such a great point. Like if you're on your property and you just stay and people around you see that you're not losing weight, they're going to know you have food, right? Exactly. They're going to yeah. wonder why. And they're going to come and ask you. Yeah. And you're not going to give it away because you're not going to have any left, but they might try to take it, which is why that's what one of the things we're going to talk about in the next chapter is the patrol slash EDC bag. What does EDC mean? Everyday carry. Oh, okay. but before we get to that, I want to I want to comment on what you just said about the, the war footing and being ready. Um, first of all, when someone tells you they're on a war footing, shouldn't you be, too? Yeah. I've been saying this all, all the time as, Such as the U.S. government gears up for this domestic war on terror. I said, if the government is planning to conduct war against you, shouldn't you mm-hmm. uh, prepare for war against them? But um, the other point is that I want to make is the Kyle Rittenhouse case. It yeah. is coming to a head rather quickly and it's falling apart for the prosecution. And there are already several videos circulating of what's going to happen if he is acquitted. And at this point, based upon the evidence, there's yep. literally no path to a conviction at this point. So yeah. you need to be stepping up your preparations and being ready for the unrest that is going to follow that. Yeah. St. George's nephew, St. George Floyd's nephew came out and said that they were going yes. to, that they, yeah. Well, I wonder whether it's just going to be local. You think it's going to be national? Oh, it'll be national for sure. Um, now Kenosha will have its own problems and Kenosha will probably like not even exist anymore. Um, but there will be sympathetic riots everywhere. Uh, just like we saw after, um, after the George Floyd death, because that's, what's wanted, right? Well, I could explain the slowdown we've seen in Antifa operations already. What Uh, do you mean? Uh, they were, they were, uh, in a, in sort of like, well, they haven't been as active as they were. Right. So right. maybe they're in sort of a maintenance phase because they know they've got something big coming. This could be the reason. I'll tell you what, though, my feeling, my hope, and, you know, I say the word hesitantly, we, since that's been over a year since that happened with St. George Floyd, and I use the term mockingly, of course, there has been a lot that has been exposed. There is this resistance. So that was obviously a black man that was killed by a white, you know, died. He wasn't murdered. And it makes me crazy when people say he was murdered. He wasn't murdered. He died and he could very well have died in, in large part due to how uh, Chauvin had him, whatever. He'd also died of a fentanyl overdose, but that was, um, you know, black guy, a white cop and a black guy. Since then, there has been a very strong resistance to, the jab by black voters. I mean, it's like only 30% or 35%. And I say that because, and also with the CRT, you know, the, the resistance to the CRT in the schools was a lot, started out a lot by white 
like white people that were mad, white parents that were mad about it. And then it created a multiracial coalition. I'm praying I this may be a lot to pray. And oh, and also, um, I'm sure you know about this is the dads. I think it was in Chicago. It could be somewhere else where there was all this madness and all these fights that were breaking out. And this group of dads got together. Dads on duty, I think it's called. And all the fights stopped. And some of the dads were being surrogate dads to some of the boys um, that didn't have fathers and stuff. I'm praying that this whole year with all the insanity that has ensued because there was never expected to have a mandate for the jab, uh, the inflation that's happening and all the stuff that maybe the people who would otherwise be used by Democrats. And I say in, in urban areas, it's going to be, if it's black neighborhood, it's black people that are always, you know, used by Democrats, hopefully they will stand still and go, you know what, this, first of all, this has nothing to do with us, right? And we're not going to let you burn down our communities over this. Because in reality, people should look at that case with Rittenhouse and say, I could be that guy. And they have been, they should be able to look at him and say, I know people that have been in that situation that were accused, that were innocent, they prosecuted them anyway, they sent them to jail, and they're probably still doing time. I'm not going to let you burn down my community over something like that. If that happened, that would be amazing because that, that's a, it's a good thing to hope for. I know not pretty, not very realistic. I know. I know it's, 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 well, it's really, really at some point you have to say to yourself, okay, unless you're going to go into the suburbs and take your risk, how much more, how many, how are you, how long are you going to keep burning down your own communities? It's so stupid. I can't anyways. Okay. So the patrol hey. ABC bag is, um, that is if you're not in a fixed location. So the other one is potentially when you are in a fixed location, the belt, even though you obviously want to be able to carry it with you when you go out. So talk about this one. All right. So this is a bag that anytime I'm actually leaving my own area, I'm going to throw on my back. I might throw it in the car if I'm driving somewhere, which I think driving will be pretty rare in a, in a without rule of law situation because the first thing to go electricity and the second thing to go will be uh, gasoline because you can't get it out of the ground. Wow. Um, yeah. But basically, it's a bag that you're going to take with you that's going to have a little bit more supplies. So, um, And how much would this weigh? Um, mine weighs 35 pounds. Okay. So anywhere from 25 to 35 pounds, if you've got the right amount of gear in it. It's a bit of weight because you're going to, you're going to live off of it, right? Um, but it's got some pretty good comfort items, and it's got some good gear to, to get you through. Um, again, not something you would carry in a current world situation, but we're talking about without rule of law, things have collapsed. You need to have the ability to stay safe. And this backpack's going to contain a few things to keep you that way. Right. And uh, this is really the first time that we're talking about actually weapons in the kits. Right. With a gun. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. This, this one would include whatever, whatever kind of long gun you're going to have and, and a little extra ammo for that. Um, and so basically when you add the two together, um, both your, your belt kit and your, your backpack should have enough, your everyday bag patrol, everyday carry bag should have enough food each of them for 48 hours. So you've got about four days worth of food when you add the two together to get you through. Okay. So this is not your, your, your full on bug out bag, but it's kind of an in-between bag. It's like an everyday backpack. Um, okay. Something that's not going to be too heavy for you to carry every day, but something that's also got a little bit more stuff in there. So um, what I use is a current issue Marine Corps assault pack. It's just backpack size, not a giant one, not a giant full-size ruck pack, um, but it's pretty good size. Um, mine is camouflage, and I recommend you get a camouflage one. Um, I know a lot of people don't. They say, oh, you want to go gray man, don't get a camouflage one. 
listen, when without rule of law happens, I would prefer to not be seen by anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and and a lot of times too, let's say I'm moving and I see some people coming and I want to create a smaller profile. I might want to take my backpack off and hide it underneath some brush. Mm. A lot of easier to do that if it's camouflage than if it's bright blue. So um, if you don't have one that's camouflage though, you can buy a cover for it. You can get them online for like fifteen, twenty dollars. It's just a camouflage cover that goes over your backpack. Um, but I just recommend just get one in camouflage to begin with. So if you're outside of there, it should be on at all times. But if I'm stopped for a rest break or lunch or whatever, I can take it off as long as it stays within my arm's reach. Uh, I don't want to let this thing out of my sight unless I have it hidden pretty well. I don't want to be able to grab it. So what kind of stuff goes in there? Some sort of a cleaning kit for your firearms, whether it's a pistol, rifle, whatever. Uh, you have something like that. Another first aid kit. So, yes, you have one on your belt already. Yes, you should have one in your vehicle. Yes, you should have another one in your backpack. First aid is going to be vital to you in a without rule of law situation. Again, Well, aid, and you call it only aid. Yeah, I was just yeah. going to say that. First aid is really a misnomer. It's only aid, right? So you yeah. need to have that stuff in there. You want to be heavy uh, for that very reason on antiseptics and antibiotics, right? Um, have, some, have a tube of antibiotic in there, a couple things like that, because you might be the only doctor you see. Um, so anyway, um, I put a little bit in there. Uh, I, the other small one is, is what I call a boo-boo kit, right? That's just band-aids and antibiotic. Um, but there's also a full gunshot wound kit in there too. You should have some more food. Um, and what I do when a lot of people talk about MREs, they got these great big full packages. That package that you see in an MRE is mostly air. I cut mine open. I throw out the things I don't use. I just take the food and the heaters because I don't need the chewing gum. I don't need the coffee packets. I don't need all the other stuff. I just oh, so, so for people who are not in the military that don't know what an MRE, it's a bag with stuff in it. Yeah, an MRE, uh, it's called a meal ready to right. eat. But most people in the military call them meals rejected by Ethiopians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's hilarious. Yeah. But lately, though, they've, they've gotten a lot better. Um, so basically in the bag, there's going to be enough food for half of a day. Right. There's going to be. um Essentially, there's two meals in there. There's like a breakfast and a lunch or a lunch and a dinner or, or whatever. Um, and there's just a variety of things in there. There might be Pop-Tarts or things like that. Um, you can really make your own by buying things like like at the grocery store, they sell um, tuna fish in foil packets or chicken, right. um, things like that. You can kind of make your own from those. But it's just basically a meal that you can carry with you and the the benefit to the military ones is that they last a really long time um, and they have their own heater with them that doesn't require fire. Uh, you pour water in there. It's a magnesium heater. Uh, you put the food in there, pour the water in, and it heats up the food for you in just a couple of minutes um, without creating a fire, which could be important without rule of law. A mm -hmm. fire a fire means human beings, right? A fire means food. Uh, it will draw people to you. So um, anyway, that's, a, that's the benefit to an MRE. But um, that's usually what I throw in there is a couple of cut down MREs or power uh, power bars, things like that. Um, just food to get by. Now, you're not going to be eating like a king, but you're going to take a little bit of food uh, to get you through. Um, yeah, and you have a, an important point here, though. If you're carrying dehydrated foods, you need to know that you need to have extra water. Always a consideration. Right. A lot of people always think about the water they need to drink. But if mm -hmm. I'm going to have if I'm going to have backpacking foods, I'm going to need an extra cup of water to make my food. Right. Yeah, it's so, a good point. And another point in your preparation. So when you're, you know, again, we emphasize practice, practice, practice. So you want to go out and do patrols. You do those, right? You do those oh. regularly. 
Oh yeah, I do like two or three a week. I just yeah. get out my bag on and go to the local trail system and start walking. Well, and and in here you say, so if you did that, so hypothetically, the people that are reading this, they, they're listening to the podcast, they say, okay, well, I'm actually going to go out and do it. And I go on a two day, you eat the food. When you come back, the first thing that you need to do in your packs, in your kits, whatever it is, or you use a bandaid or whatever, you have to restock it then. Like the moment you get back, restock it so that when you need it, you have it. That's a very right. important point. Yeah. Right. And so you in your practice now, yeah. so that when it happens in a without rule of law situation, so let's say I go on a, on a, on a, on a two day patrol with a couple of guys, we're checking out the local area. We used up all of our food. I get back and I take off my, my, my backpack and I set it down. I'm like, ah, I'll feel that in an hour, but your, your location gets attacked in 10 minutes. Now you got to yeah. throw in your backpack and you don't have any food. Yeah. So the first thing you need to do is replenish everything you used, water, food, and fuel right away because one of the items i talk about having in there is some sort of a backpacking stove right and fuel um i use kinds that have um that either will burn wood that i find out in the woods um or alcohol tablets as opposed to gas ones because gas ones can get punctured or they can spill or whatever um and alcohol, alcohol tablets where do you get those are you gonna make camping stores oh, okay. uh, I got some from from the United Kingdom the other day called uh, Dragon Fire or something like that. It's just a solid alcohol cube. You can use it to wash your hands and then light it on fire. It's it's perfect. Wow. Uh, Do we have our doggo mascot for the podcast? Is that what I hear? She's as usual running. No, I love it. She's our mascot. What's her name again? Lucy. Lucy. Hi, Lucy. She's our mascot. I love it. Like who is talking to me? <laughs> you can go back to what you were doing, Lucy. That's hilarious. Um, so, but I want to ask you about the stove. What size is that? Um, well, I have two different ones. The 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 one stove is about the size of a pill bottle, uh, like like a bottle of aspirin, right? So really? it's pretty small. Yeah, it folds up small. It, what it does oh, is wow. from that size it pops open and expands out to probably about the size of your hand, but it oh. folds down that small. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wanted to say that because I just thought I, I couldn't conceptualize like and, what it would feel like, what it would look like. Right. And the alcohol stove is what's called an S bit, and it ah. basically folds down to the size of a deck of cards, and you store the fuel inside of it. So you pop it open. It's really just a big metal square. Mm-hmm. You pop mm-hmm. it open. You light the alcohol thing, and you set your 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 canteen cup on top or whatever you're gonna cook in. Interesting. Okay. So keep going. Yeah. Yep. So then in the backpack, I also keep like a gloves and hat. And no matter what time of year it is, you should have a gloves and a hat in there because it can get cold at night. Um, or you might just want to change your profile, throw on a hat and uh, things like that. Um, I obviously keep camouflage face paint in there. You never know when you want to hide your face. There's a whole art to that. That's in our second book, Fieldcraft. Um, I also keep a camouflage mask in there and you can buy these at hunting stores. Basically, when you put it on, it only thing that you can see left is your eyes and everything else is camouflaged. Um, but a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to use that. I don't need to use the face paint. Actually, you do because there's still skin around your nose and skin uh-huh. around your eyes. That people can see uh, and you're going to want to take that mask off at some point. So do you adjust your your this based on weather? Absolutely. Absolutely. So every every six months I change out what I have. So in the summertime, I would have a, a, a green type camouflage. Because you live mask. in Michigan. For the for the yep. listeners, you live in Michigan, yeah. Yep, and in the wintertime, I switched to one that's more of a gray color, because mm. everything in Michigan is gray in the winter. Uh, it's either gray or brown, so just kind of you have to alternate everything that you have seasonally, 
And the same thing, your bag might get a little heavier in the winter because you got to mm-hmm. add an extra layer of clothes in there. Like right now, mine has um, um, a Marine Corps wool sweater. We Marines call it a woolly pulley. It's just a, a wool sweater you put on. It's uh, it's very warm and it keeps you warm even when wet. So I keep one in there in the wintertime. Okay. So uh, that's a good point. Um, all the other stuff is the same stuff that we have um, in the other, other things listed, like something to signal with, whether it's a whistle or a mirror or both. Um, another poncho or or tarp in there basically in my backpack i keep um a poncho and what's called a poncho liner it's basically a military blanket and i keep them wrapped up together and they make their own sleeping bag and it's right. waterproof. so um, i keep that in there um but i do keep that in a dry bag so it doesn't get wet if it's raining all day i don't want my stuff i'm going to sleep in to be wet where um, do you get that get a dry bag yeah um, any sporting goods store um, I ordered mine though from a surplus store and mine are as almost everything of mine is uh, right. US Marine Corps issue. The reason why I picked that is not just because I was in the Marines, but the Marines um, they have a little bit more sturdy outdoor gear because as I mentioned before, they go everywhere on foot and right. they do everything in the outdoors as opposed to the army who travels by vehicle. So um, their outdoor gear is a little bit more rugged than the Army's. Um, and they have a specific dry bag that they carry for for all of their stuff. And they have a different sleeping bag than what the Army carries because the Marines do more with mountains and things like that. And um, so I tend to tend to default towards their gear because it's a little bit more heavy duty. Well, Marines are awesome. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, another item that I had recommend people include in there is what's called a thermal tarp. And it's basically a heavy duty survival blanket. And I know we talked about the survival blanket before that's got the the silver reflective stuff on one side that keeps you warm. Mm-hmm. But this one is camouflage on the other side. And it's actually a tarp that's sewn onto a survival blanket. So I can use that as a tent and it's going to reflect my own heat back down towards me. It's going to be camouflaged from above. But more importantly, if someone is using thermal viewing to try and find me, they're not going to see me because of this thermal tarp between me and them. See, another point people wouldn't think about. And people yeah. might very well be doing that. Exactly. Yeah. And if I sleep under that blanket, I'm a lot harder to see with thermal viewing um, than anywhere else. There are there are bad folks out there, and they know these same tricks that we do. Uh, and they'll be out there with thermal vision looking for people. This thermal tarp will help you. And, like, if you dig a fighting position, which we get into in the second book, uh, if you dig a fighting position and you put this over the top, People can't see it uh, with their night vision. So, well, so in on that point though, honestly, so who would actually be doing that? Who would actually be coming, like feds? It, that's that's one possibility. But um, we also know that Antifa has sent people to fight with the Peshmerga. This in is Syria. true. I heard. Yeah. So, so <laughs> they've got training with night vision. There are Antifa members from America embedded with what's called right sector. In the Ukraine, uh, they would learn to use night vision. There are any number of people, and and as shocking as this may seem to a lot of people, some folks who've been in the military aren't necessarily good people. So uh-huh. they learn to use night vision. Uh, and night vision is so commonly available in the United States that you should just plan on any opposition you have having some. Wow. Yeah. Craziness. Okay. So uh, more supplies in the kit? Um, some more stuff. Um Always need extra T-shirts, underwear, and socks because if you get wet, you have to change what's closest to your body to prevent illness. And again, and that without rule of law, you're your own doctor. So you need to have that. You need to stay dry. Are there a type of sock that is more, that is a quick drying sock, like for military issue? 
Well, uh, basically, wool socks are quicker drying. Um, but U.S. military generally uses cotton cushion-soled socks, and they do dry fairly quickly, especially if you put them on the outside of your bag while you're walking and moving. Um, but what I do is I have wool socks, but inside the wool socks, I also wear what's called liner socks. And those are like Under Armour type material, and they're made for hiking so that your, your foot moves smoothly inside your sock and it prevents blisters. You could also, if the wool socks were wet, just change out that liner sock and it'll keep your feet dry. See, I knew I could ask you and you would know. Just some little small tips, small yeah. tips. Um, so the next thing you need is rain gear. So because I already have a poncho in my on my belt kit and another poncho that's that's set up as my sleeping bag, I put in here a full set of of, of Gore-Tex rain gear, pants and a top to go over everything to keep me dry. I can take the poncho and throw it over my gear, but I'm going to wear the rain suit myself, mm. right? So some kind of heavy-duty rain gear. Um, and again, I always mention writing tools. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a write in the rain notebook in there. Um, there could be something you want to write down. Writing is therapeutic. It can calm you in a stressful situation. Um, I might want to draw something that I saw or draw a map of something. Any of a number of reasons. So uh, I keep a I keep a write in the rain notebook in there. And always a knife. Always a knife. Uh, I put more of a camp style knife in my backpack because uh, I have a fighting style knife on my belt. Um, right. But the one in the in the backpack will be a little more heavy duty camp style knife, maybe a little bit bigger um, for chopping wood or doing whatever else. Um, so some of the optional things you could have if you've got room and weight. Um, I keep a small folding handsaw in there for two things. One, if I need to clear some brush so I can see through something, a handsaw is, is a much faster way of doing it than trying to break a branch. And how the big is that? Is um, mine is about four inches closed and it opens to, it's like it folds like a knife and it folds out to about eight inches long. Okay. Just real small, mm-hmm. um, but a good handsaw, it'll cut through a pretty good sized tree if you need it to, or a good sized branch. So that's good for, for fires. A small shovel. Um, now, everyone talks about the, the, the full-size military and trenching tool, but I don't put that in my everyday carry bag. I put a very small hand trowel that's similar to that. It folds out and everything. Um, this is more for making a small hole to bury trash or to use the bathroom or whatever. Just some side of a small shovel. And how big would that be? Um, it's probably the the spade part's probably four inches and full length. It's probably seven or eight inches long. It's not okay. very big at all. Just like a little garden uh, shovel, right? Okay, More right. Hands. The next thing is what, what Marines call snivel gear and the rest of the world calls like long underwear. Uh-huh. Um, something for when you're cold, just an extra layer to throw on. It's lightweight, silk weight, doesn't really cost you anything weight-wise to throw it in the backpack. So I keep some in there. I keep it in there with my T-shirts and underwear and stuff so it stays dry. But that's there um, if it gets a little cooler at night. Um, and then uh, you might want to attach a, an axe or a hatchet to the outside. I don't really carry spare clothing in my everyday carry bag, but you could if you had room. Well, a really good point here, and I just was, this is one of those things, again, most people would not know. What do you say you say to avoid? Jeans. Oh, yeah, blue jeans. Boy, most people don't realize that point, right? Yeah. Um, I read, that's why I marked it. I was like, we got to talk about that. Yeah, there are, um, I I didn't even see that in there. I didn't realize it's on that page. But um, people... Always look at all these pictures. These guys are running around in blue jeans. Blue jeans are the worst possible wear for tactical use or survival use because, number one, jeans are already restrictive, right? Mm-hmm. You already have a hard time moving in them. Um, they might be comfortable, but try stretching your legs out to climb up something, right? 
Now go get them wet and try moving around in them at all, right? So when jeans get wet, they shrink a little bit, they compress, they're hard to move in, and they chafe when they're wet, and they never get dry. It takes like three years for a pair of jeans to get dry (laughs) when you're outside. So uh, I say avoid blue jeans at all costs. So what would be the optimal pants? Um, Any type of sturdy outdoor pants. I go with with clothing by TruSpec or 511 Uh because they're made for that, right? They're made to be outdoors. And as I say in book two, uh, when when you get to talking about camouflage, is the United States military and and the Russian military and and militaries around the world spend millions and millions Mm -hmm. of dollars researching their clothing so that it has great range of movement. It has, it's very durable, it's insect repellent, and uh, it's, it's made to give you full freedom of movement outdoors, right? What better place to start your shopping than military surplus? Such a great point. But that, that, when I read that about the jeans, I was like, this is crazy because again, in a situation like that, they wouldn't be thinking, oh, I'm going to wear my jeans out because they're comfortable to me. Nope, not the right best on. option. Yeah, jeans are really, uh, really not a good option at all. Wrapping up this chapter, the baseline standard, are there any other points that that think to be that you think need to be made about this chapter? Well, I think the, the biggest thing is, is that we got to remember what our ultimate goal is, right? Our ultimate goal is not to fight a war. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least not at this point, right? Uh, our ultimate goal <laughs> is to survive. So you wanna make sure you're never so tied to a single location that you're willing to die there, right? That's why I say have the belt kit with you, have the patrol EDC bag with you everywhere you go in a without rule of law situation so that if you need to, you can just leave and survive for a while with what you have on your back. Uh, that's the key thing. Remember our role is not to be infantry, we're here to survive. Uh, And if I need to leave, I should just leave and I can come back later. All right. Great. Well, everybody needs to get his Joe's books, Tactical Wisdom series. And this is like I mentioned, this is the baseline training manual. We will be doing the the second book. um, What's it called again? Fieldcraft. Fieldcraft. And then you're writing the third book. So listen, as always, thank you so much. Make sure you go to Joe's website, tactical-wisdom.com to read all his blog as well as get his books and find all that's going on with there and get the patches. Very cool patches. Uh, I just want to refresh. What's the patch again? The Jerusalem cross. What is that for? The patch is the Jerusalem cross. Uh, I, I use it for two reasons. One, the kingdom of Jerusalem, when it was ruled by Christians during the Crusades, was the only country at the time that allowed true religious freedom. Anyone could come and worship in Jerusalem. So it's about religious freedom. But the five crosses on it represent the five wounds of Jesus, the two mm-hmm. hands, two feet, and the wound in his side. Very interesting. It's very cool. Um, and All these podcasts are available. Make sure you get up to date. Again, tell your friends to brooktalksamerica.com. It's Brooke with an E. So we will see you next week on Tactical Tuesdays on Brook Talks America. As always, thank you, Joe. Bye, Lucy, and have a great day. We'll see you next time. I believe the world is burning to the ground.